Wow, Michael, thank you for reaching back to when I was your age and bringing out the Keith Green worship stuff. Wow, that was, a, that was fun for me. So, enjoyed that. Some probably new to some of you, but uh, that was one of that first song was from a guy who wrote some amazing worship songs for us to enjoy as, as believers in Christ when I was a teenager, actually. So, um, that, was, that was great. We're going to continue on this morning with a series that in general is kind of entitled Mission Possible. We're talking about all the different aspects of God's call for us to be disciples who are passionately following Christ, who are making disciples. And we're talking about how it seems impossible at times, but this mission to do that is possible because he's guided us through it and he is with us to the end of the age to help us and empower us and to provide everything we need to be disciples who are effectively helping others become disciples as well. So we're going to continue on with that. And this morning, we're going to talk about the process of spiritual growth and how that works and the role that plays in our own lives and in the lives of those who uh, follow us uh, and join us in following Jesus. So let's just pray before we launch. Lord, it is a privilege to be your child, and you have reached into the lives of so many of us here in this room, and you have shown your love to us. You have demonstrated it in what Jesus did on the cross, and you have brought us into relationship with you. But Lord, we're thankful this morning that it doesn't finish there. That's just the start. And so Lord, help us this morning as we open your word to see your plan for us to constantly be growing and maturing in our knowledge and in our understanding of who Jesus is so that we can relate to him in a very personal way every day, all day long in how we live our lives. Thank you that you're always with us. Lord, show us how to grow and how to respond in a deeper and deeper way as the days pass in our relationship to Jesus. And we ask that you'll show us that through your word right now. We ask it in his, Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So after my wife Sherry and I had been married for a few years, like most couples, we decided we wanted to start a family. And that launched us into many years of incredible emotional turmoil while we struggled with infertility. And over the years, when you're going through infertility, you explore all kinds of possibilities because we found out and learned how complex it is for a human baby to actually be created. And we learned that there are dozens and dozens of different things that can go wrong in the process that can inhibit the ability to create a baby and have it grow and mature where it can be born and it can, it can, it can uh, go on to become an adult human being. One of the things that we learned along the way was that one of the problems that can happen is that you can have a healthy human embryo created, a human life that has all the potential to become a fully grown baby who can then go on to become a human adult. But if that baby, that new embryo, is unable to implant itself properly in its mother, so that it can get all the things it needs, the feeding it needs, the protection it needs, all of those things, then it never will develop. It never will grow. It never will mature. It never will become the potential of what it 
what it could be. And in those cases, it always miscarries. And that's really a good picture of sadly what can happen when a new baby Christian is born. You can have, uh, it's a good picture of, of somebody that has potential and, and everything is, but if they're not properly provided what they need, they never will mature and grow. And Jesus makes this point really clear in his great commission. He says, excuse me, I gotta get my little clicker out here. He says in the passage that we've looked at so many times over the last few weeks, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. So he makes it clear that the process of making a disciple is not finished when someone comes to faith in Jesus. And even when they have been willing to be baptized, identifying themselves with what Jesus did on the cross, and they're willing to do that publicly, the process still isn't finished. It's just begun. The call is that when they get to that point, then we help them and teach them to observe and obey all that Jesus has commanded. Why? Because otherwise they're going to miss out on the blessings of what he wants to provide and put, bring into their life. And that's a very, very, very sad thing. Um, Paul understood this concept really well. He puts it this way in another passage. He makes it clear that coming to faith in Jesus is just the beginning. Here's what he says. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's saying, look, some of you have come to faith. You, you, you've come into relationship with Jesus. He's in you. And you have the hope of glory. You know you're going to heaven. But then he goes on to say this. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that so powerfully works within me. Paul understood that once somebody came to faith, and knew they were going to heaven, the process had just begun. He knew that God's plan was for his children, followers of Jesus, to grow and mature in their faith. And he knew, notice the words there, he knew that they were going to need to be provided warnings. Those brand new baby Christians were going to need to be taught. They were going to need to be, have wisdom imparted to them in order for them to grow and to mature into what God intended for them to be and to experience in this relationship with Jesus that is so rich as he describes it. There's richness in the fact that Christ is in you. He wanted them, God wants them, Paul wanted them to experience that richness. And if they didn't mature, they never would. The Bible, in many places, describes our relationship as a Christian, our uh, life, our growth, in terms, it uses the picture of a baby, how a human baby grows and matures from being a baby. A couple of passages that make this point. First Peter says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. 
So he calls them newborn babies. He, he wants them to grow in respect to salvation. And here's the thing. Just knowing that Christ is in you and you're going to heaven is great. But what he wants them to know is there's multifacets of this, with the riches of what you have in Christ. Don't stop there. Don't quit learning. Don't quit having a deeper and deeper and deeper, a more mature relationship with Jesus. Don't miss out on the richness that's here. Grow, mature in the salvation that you have. It is multifaceted. It has many, many aspects to it. Explore them. Grow in them. Experience them. Sadly, it's really common for people to come to faith in Christ. And I'm talking about genuine Christians. They, they come to faith in Christ. They believe that their sins are forgiven and they're on their way to heaven. But they don't grow. They don't mature. They stay as immature Christians. They don't grow in their knowledge and their understanding of who Jesus is and all the aspects of this salvation that he has provided. They're stunted in their growth. And there you see on the the, the, the verse there on the bottom of the screen. I could not address you as spiritual or mature people. This is Paul writing to some of the Christians in the church at Corinth. Listen to what he says. I could not address you as spiritual or mature people, but as people of the flesh. I fed you milk, not solid food for you were not ready for it. Oh, excuse me, people of the flesh as infants in Christ. I missed a phrase, didn't I? I tried to go from that screen to my paper here. It says, I have to address you as infants. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now, you're still not ready for it. Sadly, it is easy for us as Christians to be stunted in our spiritual growth, to be stuck just on the milk baby food of who Jesus is and what we have in him. And he doesn't want that for us. He wants us to grow up. So how do we know what we need? How do, how do we understand how to make this growth process happen, not only in our lives, but in those disciples that we're inviting to join us in following Christ? How do we know what it takes to grow a baby Christian up. And I think the most obvious place to go would be to see what the apostles, those who had followed Jesus around for years, who had been taught directly by him, what, what did they have to say about it? Those whom Jesus, after he left this earth, he, was he died on the cross, he was resurrected, he went back to be with his father. What did those men do how did they grow christians up one day shortly after jesus went back to heaven these guys were preaching many many jews had gathered in in jerusalem and on the day of pentecost they preached the gospel and three thousand people came to faith in jesus 3,000. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a daunting task. 3,000 baby Christians. What did they do to ensure 
that those baby Christians would mature in their relationship. And I want us to spend a little time here in this passage because this is what they did. This is how they matured them. It says in Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so this morning, I just want to take just a few minutes on each one of these and talk about why this, why these things. What role does each one of these play in the process of keeping each of us who are followers of Jesus moving forward? Not stunted, not stagnated in our growth, but understanding all the different aspects of the salvation that we have in this incredible Savior of Jesus. So, first, let's talk about the first one. First, Christians matured in their relationship to Jesus by devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, the context, um, well, let me back up. You know, I said earlier that these, these apostles, apostle means sent one, somebody who is sent with a message. And Paul described, described himself as an apostle who was sent by Jesus to help people grow. That's why he was so passionate about it. That was the mission God had given him. But these apostles had all had personal interaction with Jesus. Most of them, the 11 other than Paul, had lived with him for several years. They had followed him around. They had watched him do miracles. They had listened to him teach them personally, some of them one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes listening to him teach crowds of thousands of people. And so they, they knew intimately the things that he had taught and, the, and, and, the, and who he was. And, and they were able to impart their personal, firsthand experience you know, one of them says in one of his writings, what I have seen, what I've heard, what I've touched, that's what I'm passing on to you. So that's the kind of authority, when we're talking about the apostles' teaching, that's the kind of authority about who Jesus is, what he's done, and the ramifications of the salvation that he provides. These, you can't get better authority than, than, than these men, and they were specifically chosen by Jesus and sent by Jesus to impart this knowledge to us. Praise God <laughs> that we have this, the, all the teaching we need. They heard it firsthand from the apostles, but we have it right here. God has graciously given it to us. Everything we, not, we don't have everything Jesus ever said. The Bible tells us that you, not enough paper and ink to do that, right? But we have everything we need. All that we need to know has been imparted to us. So why is the apostles' teaching, the truths of Scripture, why is this so critical to the growth process, to the maturing process? Well, we're just going to look at a, a couple of Scriptures. Not advancing. <laughs> Thank you. One reason is that the truth found in God's Word sets us free from the deception of the devil and slavery to sin. John 8 says this, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The context here in John 8 is that Jesus is te teaching a group of people and he's telling them, look, you have a choice. You can listen to the devil. And by the way, he gets, says they believed in him and he gets a little further on. He says, you know, you really 
you say you believe in me, but you really fall into the devil because you don't want to do what I say, you want to do what he says. But he's bringing the point up that you have a choice. You can listen to the multitude of voices through whom Satan is speaking, trying to deceive you, trying to distract you away from trusting me and following me, or you can listen to me. We're doing a series right now in youth group, What is Truth? And that was the first thing. The first, the first lesson on that was, you got a choice. You got to decide who you're going to listen to. You can listen to Jesus, you can listen to God's word, or you can listen to all, want to pick a voice, any voice, there's many of them. And, and we have that same choice. If we choose Jesus, it sets us free from being deceived because he speaks the truth and we will recognize the lies of the devil. He also goes on to talk about it, him, it setting us free from slavery to sin. We do not have to be in bondage. We don't have to be hopelessly dominated by sin in our life. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that, that God's word is used to do that in us. Here's another thing that God's word does. When a believer exposes themselves to God's word, it leads to godliness. It's kind of a, a similar concept, but it's slightly different. It says in Titus 1.1, I, I am a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of the elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. You know, um, these, these apostles were spent, sent specifically with the knowledge of the truth. Why? So that we could be, be godly. The idea of being godly is to have our character transformed so that it reflects the character of God. We're never going to be God. But godliness is God-likeness, meaning he graciously allows us to by his power be so transformed that we begin to be like him. So we begin to be more and more loving like God. We begin to be more and more forgiving like our God. We begin to be more kind and patient and faithful and wise and generous. And we could just keep going down the list. Transformation happens and he does that through his word. It's one of the benefits of his word is that not only does he free us from slavery to sin, but he makes us godly, takes away the bad, and builds in the good. And he does that through his word. He matures us through his word, through the teaching of the apostles to do that. It's a beautiful thing. And as that happens, Jesus said, I've come to give you my joy and my peace. We begin to share in the joy and the peace of God. He says, I, I'm the God of peace, and I want to give that to you. This is godliness, and he uses his word to create those things in us. Now, we'll look at one more. It's a big subject. We don't have time to do too much, but um, God uses his word to train and equip us to live a righteous life and do good works for him. Many of you could quote this verse. All scripture is God breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and mature, equipped for every good work. If you want to keep moving forward toward righteousness and you want to be equipped to 
to help others along the way, to serve others, to do good works in the name of, of Jesus that will, that will make him attractive and draw people to him and help them grow and mature in him. Yeah, God's word is how that maturing process happens. He uses it to equip us, to change us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a, an amazing resource. You know, here at Westside, there's a lot of different opportunities. You can come and listen as various ones teach from the platform here on Sunday morning. You can be involved in a life group where God's word is opened and there's discussion format for that. It's a beautiful thing. You can meet in a one-on-one -on -one situation. You can go to a, a ladies' time um, Bible study. And, and, and these are all different opportunities. There's a plethora of them every single week. Question is, are you devoted to it? These Christians grew in their faith by being devoted, continually devoted to the word of God and the teaching of the apostles. And if we want to grow, we need to do that too. You know, there's lots of different ways you can be exposed. But there is, a, I, I, will, I will tell you that I believe there's a, there is a difference. Some ways of exposing yourself to the word of God are kind of like going through the drive-thru at McDonald's. Others are more like, you know, opening a can of soup, Campbell's soup at home and you, you, you're involved in the process. You, you, you know, you, you get a pan out and you open the can, you dump it in the can. You, you're doing a little more and, you know. And then there are the times and the situations where like Garrett Graham this week who killed his first deer. He went out, he went out and harvested that deer. He he skinned it and cleaned it, and I got the fun of helping him butcher it. That was fun. We butchered it, and then he went home, and he cooked it, and I can guarantee you, because he already told me this this morning, actually, actually his, 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 his dad and his sister were, were, were raving about how much they were enjoying the meat, but trust me, Garrett was involved in every step of the process, and 20 years from now, I know from personal experience, 40 years from now, he will still be remembering this first deer and how tasty it was when he slapped that back strap that he carved himself from that carcass and made food for himself and helped cook it and made it and ate it. And he will remember it. It will have a much, much longer lasting, and I'll even tell you it's much healthier than McDonald's, has more, more impact in that way too, or a, you know, a can of Campbell's soup. Do you get the point, what I'm trying to say? Yes, God provides teachers. That's great, and, 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 and you should partake in that. God provides small groups of people to help you be exposed to it. Yes, but nothing will impact your spiritual growth like you going here and pleading with God to reveal himself to you directly. And please don't buy the lie from Satan that you're, you just can't understand it. God has promised when you seek him, you will find me, he says. He promises that. 
And if you open his word and say, I am seeking you, I want to know you, I want to deepen my understanding of you so that I will fall in love with you in a deeper way, he will respond to that prayer. Then you got to actually spend a little time here. And if you do that, nothing will impact you more. And it will impact some other things on the list here too. But do you get the point? Spend time in the word. Search him out on your own. Let's go on to another thing that they devoted themselves to, to keep themselves maturing. The first Christians grew their faith by devoting themselves to the fellowship. Now, the, the word translated fellowship here is koinonia. It's a word that describes people being bonded together as they share something in common. And it could be that they share the same beliefs or they share that they're partnering together toward a common goal. It could be that they enjoy the same activities. It could be that they love the same things or the same people. You know, non-believers can have koinonia. A group of Trailblazer fans can get together and, and, and enjoy and feel bonded as they root for the Blazers to win. And hey, they're actually good this year. It's kind of fun. Right? That, that's koinonia, but that's not Christian koinonia. Uh-uh. That's not Christian koinonia. Christian koinonia is different, and it is unique. It is unique because only Christians come and gather around their common love for Jesus, their common trust in Jesus, their common worship for Jesus. Only Christians have Jesus living in him and the Holy Spirit empowering them to love each other in that as they come together. Nobody else has that. To love each other on a supernatural level. Now we're still flawed, right? We're still saying stupid things to each other and hurting each other. But, but we have the ability among Christians to love each other in ways that no one else does. Because the koinonia that we have is empowered by the Spirit. And it is about one who has loved us and forgiven us, and that allows us to respond to other people in that same way, in ways that you never, nobody else can. So this is unique, Koinonia. This is, this is incredibly powerful. Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to spur one another toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as the day is approaching. Every believer in this room needs to be spurred on to love Jesus more, to love those around them in this body more, to love their neighbor who doesn't yet know Christ more. We need that from each other and we all need encouragement. And the beautiful thing about about Christian koinonia is that the Bible tells us that God has gifted every single one of his children in some supernatural way for the benefit of everybody else in the body. To build you up, to encourage you, to keep you growing and maturing. Every one of us, whether you know what it is or not, it doesn't, it's there. I, I think, I believe that people can have, you know, more than one gift. I think it could be a gift or gifts. He uses us in lots of different ways sometimes. And, and these are powerful. And if you 
get in the habit of not engaging, devoting yourself to fellowship, you're depriving yourself of those gifts, and that is a terribly sad thing. You're depriving yourself of those with the gift of, of, of giving, those with the gift of hospitality, those with the gift of, of uh, wisdom, those with the gift of service. You're depriving yourself of those things, and that is a terribly, terribly sad thing. You need those things, and whatever your gift is, we all need it. So we need to be devoted to the fellowship. And that takes all kinds of different forms. That's not just what we do here on Sunday morning. If that's as deep as, as your devotion to the fellowship goes, then sadly you're going to probably miss out on a lot of what God wants to provide in spurring you on in your growth and in encouraging you and growing you in your faith. Let God work through those people around you here in this church body. Thank him for that and let him do it. It's going to move on. The first Christians matured their relationship to Jesus by being devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, what's referred to as the breaking of bread, which we just did, uh, is just another, another way of saying the communion. And they, they came together to remember Jesus. It's pretty clear that this was something in the book of Acts that the church did on a very regular basis. It's spoken of as seemingly a centerpiece of why they came together on Sunday. So I'm, I'm thankful that, that we do it every Sunday because I think that's pretty clearly what the, what the early church did. It was not an afterthought. It was a centerpiece. It was a, a, an important piece. So why? Why was it such an important piece? Why were they relentlessly devoted to spending time obeying Christ's command to remember him. I think we don't have a lot of time to go into this, but let me just see if I can, if I can shed a little light on this. We need to understand that taking communion is not just a physical act. Oh, I got to check that. God asked me to do the bread and the wine thing, uh, you know, as, as symbolic of what he's done for me. Check, I came in, I took the bread, I, you know, I did the wine. I, okay, check. That is not it, certainly a physical act. He wants our body engaged, but it's not just that. And sadly, I think sometimes it becomes that for us. We come in, we, you know, our, we're distracted, we're thinking about everything else. But I think we need to understand that this is intended to be a very both personal and corporate relationship building and bonding thing with our Savior. We're doing it together. We are fellowshipping, we are koinoneeing over our shared love and adoration and heart of thankfulness to our Savior, but it's a personal thing too. And if we do not engage our mind and our heart in a very focused and, and intense way, then we miss out on, on the opportunity not just to, to give our Savior what he deserves, but on the bonding that happens between he, he and, and me when, when it happens, and on growing my understanding. I'm so thankful that we take the time to open God's word. 
what Jesus, who he is and what he has accomplished for us and the ramifications of that both past, present, and future are so multifaceted that we should never have a problem coming up with things to talk about as we remember Jesus as he's asked us to do. There should always be something, something that we can deepen our knowledge about who he is, about what he's done, and about what that means and how that plays out for my past, my present, and my future. It is an endless well. And this is a time specifically devoted to us coming and remembering that, who he is, what he's done, how does my mind and my heart respond to that? And that's what we need to do. And let me just connect it back. How much time I have spent in the word and the fresh things that I've gone out and hunted down and killed about my Savior <laughs> that week has a big impact on what happens during that three minutes of silent contemplation. Last week, in my personal devotions, I'd been in Revelation 5, and, and Dan had us sing that song about the Lion of Judah who can open the scroll, and that's right where I'd been. And I had seen some things that I'd never seen before, and it deepened my understanding of who Jesus is and what it means that he can open the scroll. So I had a wonderful time last week during that three minutes because my heart was just rolling through those things and, and the truth that was in the song that, that, that meshed with that. But if I hadn't been there, I don't think that intensity, I wouldn't have had that to feed on. So these things begin to fit together, right? When we spend time with Jesus and in the word, we are able, when we come to the Lord's Supper, to engage in a way that will bring incredible joy, incredible peace, incredible security. Satan's never going to be able to tell us, nah, what Jesus did isn't enough. You better work harder. It's a safeguard against that kind of lie when we keep going back to the table. Let's move on. Last one. The first Christians grew their faith by devoting themselves to prayer. Now, God speaks to us in a number of different ways, but primarily through his word. He speaks to us through his spirit. He speaks to us through his creation. He reveals himself. There are some ways, but predominantly here. And we can respond back to God, you know, with our actions, with, with the meditations of our heart. But, but prayer is the predominant way that the dialogue happens. He speaks to us, we speak back. Kind of hard to have a relationship, a deep, growing relationship with somebody if there's no dialogue going on. If we aren't responding back and, and, and talking back, if we aren't coming to him when we learn something new to express worship and wonder and awe, at what he has shown us about himself. If, if we aren't able to praise him when we see him do something that is praiseworthy, and that happens every day, if we are not able to come to him and express thanksgiving, if we don't talk to, to the Lord about our joys, about our anxieties, if we aren't bringing our requests to him, it's going to stunt our relationship to him. There's, it's going it's to keep us from, from being able to grow. You know, the Bible's full of promises and blessings 
that God wants to bring into our life. But if we are not dialoguing with him about what those promises are and asking him and saying, I believe you, I believe you for that. I know you can do that in my heart, in my mind. I know you can, you can make me behave in that way. If we are not responding to his promises and dialoguing back, then we're probably going to miss out on experiencing a lot of them. James just says it really clear. You know, well, the, our Thursday night study with the guys, we're, we're going through James and we're almost here. He just says, you do not have because you do not ask. do not have because you do not ask. You know, I've never felt like my prayer life was very good. <laughs> and about 25 years ago, we had a men's retreat down at Canby Grove Conference Center. And I don't even remember the name of the speaker. He was somebody we brought in from outside. And he focused on prayer in one or two of his messages. And he tried to encourage us to realize that prayer needed to be a dialogue all day long. That, that rather than just, and, and I'm all for this, I will just candidly admit to you that I have been a dismal failure at sitting down and praying for an hour. It, it just doesn't happen very often for me. And I am so thankful for those of you who do that because prayer warriors like that are invaluable. But for me, it's, I, someday, maybe I'll, I'll still get there. But this, this guy, he gave us everyone a little booklet called Practicing the Presence of the Lord. I think by a guy they called Brother Lawrence, I think, if I'm remembering right. But that little book, because he, uh, he talked about praying when he was doing the dishes. And without going into any more detail, it impacted me in such a way that I started saying, Lord, help me to real, you're with me all the time. Your presence, you're, you're with me. You're everywhere I go, everything I'm doing, you're with me. Help me to dialogue with you all day long. And it has revolutionized, and I'm still got a long ways to go, but that's happening still today. 25 or so years later, I talk to the Lord all day long. I don't sit down and pray like I should with intensity, but I talk to the Lord all day long, and that has revolutionized my intimacy with him. My relationship has grown so much. Prayer is a key thing. When we pray, when we ask God to do something, and God answers, that will deepen our understanding of who he is. Yeah? When we ask for something and he delivers, we will see how good he is he will be, it gives him a chance to display how loving he is, how powerful he is, how wise he is, how generous he is. Because we've asked and he delivered. And, and how much, what did it take for him to do that? And he displays his character. And, 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 and it indels itself on our hearts because we personally experience those things that are true about him. When we spend time in prayer expressing worship for who he is, what he's done, it imprints those truths that we are worshiping him about on our heart and our mind, and that will affect how we respond in the day-to-day -day situations of life. Prayer has a huge effect on our ability to move forward and mature in the Lord. So, when they talk about devotion, the word is, the, the Greek word is pros. Carterio. Pros meaning continually doing something over and over, tirelessly without stopping. Carterio means doing it strongly with intensity, with all your might, careful focus. 
intensity. Never stopping and intensity. That's what he's calling us to in these things. So, if you want to keep forward, moving forward, growing, maturing, then continually devote yourselves with great strength and intensity to these things. And God will use them in your life. And if you get the chance to impact a younger, less mature believer, teach them that these are the things they need to be devoted to, continually, strongly devoted to if they want to keep maturing and growing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you because you first loved us. You have shown your love to us in so many ways. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just want us to get saved and stay babies. You have provided all that we need to mature and grow and have deep, deep intimacy with you. Help us to want that. Help us to seek you and thank you that when we do that, we will find you. Grow us. And Lord, make us a church that is effective at growing brand new baby Christians. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.